You're listening to Creative Thursday, episode number 312. Welcome to Creative Thursday with Marisa Ann Cummings. We're talking all things life, business, and creativity with a special focus on helping artists confidently and consistently sell their creations to their ideal collectors online. Intended to inspire and empower you wherever you are on your creative journey, both personally and professionally. Enjoy and thank you for listening. Marisa here and today I want to talk to you about a term I'm sure you're familiar with because it seems to come up more than ever and I have some theories on that that I'll go into but we're going to talk about imposter syndrome. So I titled this episode Are You an Imposter? We are at a stage in development where This term, as I just shared, is being applied to many different instances. And on one hand, I'm here to suggest that it is a common occurrence for anyone who's growing in their potential and reaching for new possibilities. And on the flip side of that, I am beginning to wonder if we are maybe overlooking what it takes to actually have experience, expertise, and qualifications, and and skills at what it is that we want to do and share with the world. So if you would like to explore this topic with me, let's take a little bit of a dive into imposter syndrome and figure out what's going on with this particular term. The way I like to start is I like to look up a definition. Now, I know somebody somewhere is writing a definition, but I learned a lot just looking this up. And this is a term that I don't think I've specifically addressed it in its own individual podcast episode, but I have mentioned it countless times. And we talk about it a lot in the expansive artists, but I've never actually looked it up. No, I refer to it very often as self-doubt, imposter syndrome, self-doubt, fear, all in the same family. Fear of failure, fear of success. Yes, we have to make that distinction as well. So let me start with reading to you what imposter syndrome, how it's described on Wikipedia, because it is a term. I didn't find the actual quote unquote definition. And I learned two things right away. One is I've been spelling it wrong, although you can spell it with an E, but it's listed as impostor just FYI. And so I'm going to start using it that way. Impostor with an O, I-M-P-O-S-T-O-R. And I also learned that it was originally introduced in an article published in 1978. And get this, it's 
It was introduced in this article titled The Imposter Phenomenon in High Achieving Women, Dynamics and Therapeutic Intervention by Pauline R. Clance and Suzanne A. Imes. So in the early days, so this term hasn't been around all that long, at least from my perspective, it's almost my lifetime. And initially, imposter syndrome was applied to women. And now we know that men experience it as well. And basically, I think we would probably say our dogs experience it. That's where I'm saying these terms grab hold. They really strike a resonance with many people at one time. And then we just use it for everything without really taking a beat and saying, okay, what is this? Is this really how I'm feeling? If it is, what do I want to do about it? Because the goal of this episode is not to, well, the goal of this podcast is to encourage you to your fullest potential, to follow your bliss, to reach for what's possible for you and to truly, I don't know if I'm saying that right, like truly live into your highest potential, that only you know what that is, right? There is no bar that we are setting. Although we'll come back to this bar because a lot of imposter syndrome has to do with a bar that we're setting either for ourselves or as a society. And we want to question that, take a look at it from all sides, from beneath it, from above it, from the side. So before I come back to that, let me finish going over how this is defined, but I did find it very interesting that this was applied to women first. So imposter syndrome, also known as imposter phenomenon, imposterism, I have not heard that version of it, is a psychological occurrence in which people doubt their skills, talents, or accomplishments and have a persistent internalized thought that was interesting, fear of being exposed as frauds. Despite external evidence of their competence, those experiencing this phenomenon do not believe they deserve their success or luck. They may incorrectly attribute it to the Matthew effect. Never heard of that one. Or the Dunning-Kruger effect, and I will share the definitions of both of those with you in just a moment. I have heard of and spoken of uh, and taught on the Dunning-Kruger effect before, or they may think that they are deceiving others because they feel as if they are not as intelligent as they outwardly portray themselves to be. Imposter syndrome can stem from and result in strained personal relationships and can hinder individuals from achieving their full potential in their fields of interest. When imposter syndrome was first conceptualized, it was viewed as a phenomenon that was common among high-achieving women. Further research has shown that it affects both men and women in the collective sense that the proportion affected are more or less equally distributed among the genders Individuals with imposter syndrome often have corresponding mental health issues, which may be treated with psychological interventions, 
though the phenomenon is not a formal mental disorder. Okay, there's a lot there, right? A lot. So let's let's take a look at at each one of these areas that stand out to me. On its most basic level, it is the psychological occurrence. So it's not just this term, it's a psychological occurrence where people doubt their skills, talents, or accomplishments. And then I found it interesting that it's internalized fear. You know, where this sense of doubt comes from, while I don't like to spend forever perusing my past, and I, as I've shared with you, I went through EMDR therapy, there's still more that I would like to explore around that. I certainly got a lot of insight about what might bring this up for me because I have experienced this as both an artist and a teacher, educator, coach, mentor. And there are definitely experiences early in life that have contributed to why I might feel that way. And I think on its most basic level, now this is me speaking to my definition of imposter syndrome. I think anytime you are growing beyond your comfort zone, it's likely that you may feel this way. However, what inspired me to create this episode for you, not only because this comes up again and again, not only because I'm going through a very in-depth coaching program right now myself and giving a lot more thought to concepts like this and how I can best support you going through experiences like this. Concepts attached to experiences attached to how we show up in the world. There's there's a lot. I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say unpack. <laughs> I'm not going to use that term. There's a lot to explore here. So let me stay on track with where I was going first, this concept of internalized fear. So at, at its base level, if you're feeling this, there may be some childhood, early life experiences that internalize these fears for you. And that would be something not to just take lightly and and put a label on it, put a sticker on it, like imposter syndrome. Ha ha. Yes, I have it. And now I'm going to decide it's gone. There may be some healing there. There may be some conversations to be had around that. And that is something for you to decide to explore if you choose to. So I think the first takeaway is that this is not just a label that we want to be tossing around. The second takeaway is that many people do experience this even though they are skilled. And that's where the Dunning-Kruger effect comes in. And let me just read that to you so it's more accurate. The Dunning-Kruger effect is a cognitive bias whereby people with low ability, expertise, or experience regarding a type of task or area of knowledge tend to overestimate their ability or knowledge, right? It's almost the reverse of imposter syndrome. However, we often refer to the Dunning-Kruger effect as 
impacting why we have imposter syndrome in, in the way that Wikipedia again says some researchers also include the opposite effect for high performers, their tendency to underestimate their skills. So many times people, well, the curve itself, there's a Dunning-Kruger curve and when you are sometimes, you know, really naive and you think you got it all figured out, you feel like your expertise is really high. And then you start to get into it and you realize what's involved in, in my case, you know, whether that's making art, whether that is growing an education business and you realize, wow, I really know so little about what it is that I'm doing. And then you can start to turn inward and second guess your abilities, even though if you're going through this process, you are clearly making attempts to get better. And then you cycle through the bottom of that curve and you begin to have the confidence that matches your expertise, which I think is just such a fascinating concept in itself. And the Matthew effect, I just read about it because I was looking this up is a, the effect of a cumulative, accumulated, excuse me, advantage, Matthew principle or Matthew effect is the tendency of individuals to accrue social or economic success in proportion to their initial, initial level of popularity, friends, and wealth. So that's interesting. And what it's suggesting, the way I understand this is that Many people will feel like imposters because they think it has to do with the Matthew effect. They think it has to do with the initial, right? I think that word initial is very important. It's not about what you've created and developed over time because many people have sought to grow in influence and popularity, especially in the age of social media. It's, you know, what were you born into, so to speak? that maybe gave you advantage. And because you have that advantage, society's really good at trying to point that out to you, by the way. Well, you just have this success because, you know, you had advantages. And then that person might actually have talent and skill and not be an imposter. And they may be doubting themselves and experiencing imposter syndrome for that effect. That's how I'm interpreting it. Hope that's it. correct. But that is an interpretation. That's my takeaway. So the idea that, you know, we may have this internalized fear Um Corresponding mental health issues to me, I never thought of it like that. Um, that might be taking it a step farther, and it may not, right? We're also coming to learn about neurodivergent, neurotypical brain development, neurodivergent brain development, which neurodivergent brain development was also affected at some point in your life, and no neurodivergent brain development is we're talking a lot about that because there's a lot of ADHD that falls in that category dyslexia and it goes so far as uh schizophrenia falls under that category it's you know the way that the brain and I have not pulled up this definition so I'm going to be very very uh specific with my language it's just a different development of the brain and we could we can have another conversation around that so if you're following me and this exploration, initial exploration around imposter syndrome. There's a, there's a lot here, right? 
again, not just a label, but at the end of the day, in order for us to achieve our potential to fulfill our desires in life. And we're talking specifically around wanting to create a career, a creative career, perhaps, uh, well, specifically on this podcast, a creative career, and really stepping into your purpose, your gifts, and sharing that with the world. I pause around career because to me, just stepping into your artistry, if that's something that you feel called to do, is, is such an important part of, of life. And I want nothing more than to encourage you to do that, whether you build a business or not. And this concept of imposter syndrome can hinder that so much so that someone won't even express their creativity. And and we just don't want that to happen anymore. As I was starting to say, this podcast is about encouraging. It is never to discourage you from pursuing your art, your creativity, and turning that into a business if you would like to. And the reason that this came up for me, so I would fall under the category, I identify I identify as female, identify as, as a woman. I grew up around this time and I noticed, in fact, some of you may remember, I noticed more of a tendency to have to give myself permission. And as I was saying, some of you may remember, I created a course. It was around 2015 was when I was on Periscope. It was called Permission to Be Creative and Make Money. I just wanted to, you know, as I do, hit the nail on the head. And it was very compelling because you may be nodding in agreement that you feel like someone has to give you permission. And I would not necessarily say that's specific to women, but I would say that the way I was raised, I felt I needed to be granted permission for a lot of what I wanted in life, all the way, you know, into education, just permission to get up from the table, permission to use the restroom when I needed to use the restroom, permission to pursue and, you know, have the pursue my dreams, to have the desires that I had to just want what I want in life. I I still recognize that I've felt judged by that. And I know I'm not, I'm not alone in that. You know, we, we're all doing that on some level all the time. Well, actually, I don't want to say all. We're, many of us do that. And I have been guilty of doing that. And that's not something I want to do anymore. It's not my business it's not my business what you want in life. It's my business to support what it is that you want in your life, to hold that space for you. And it is your business to figure out what that is. And it is also your business to ultimately give yourself permission. So that seems to be wrapped into this concept as well. First, my story I had to give myself permission to pursue a career as an artist because I had some early experiences. Well, I had both really. I had early experiences from family who really believed in my art, family, friends. And I had some early experiences with teachers who did not. 
And that blending is what put my art dreams on hold for some time. Because, and I hear this all the time, well, friends and family bought my art. And I always say, yeah, and they count. When someone already knows us, appreciates us, loves us, ideally unconditionally, right? They love us unconditionally and they cheer us on. We doubt that. We somehow end up thinking, well, they don't really know. They don't really know. But if someone is critical of us, judges us, and very often, if any of that is laced with just a general unkindness attached to it, why on earth are we giving someone who can't even deliver kind criticism any validity in in who we are as people or who we are as artists? When you really stop to think about it, I mean, why would I trust the opinion of someone that's not even kind to me? Uh, I wouldn't and I don't, but somewhere along the way, I had this idea that if you're sharp and harsh, you know, there are a lot of coaches like that. There were art professors like that. If you are hard, hard on me in this way, well, you must know what you're talking about, right? If you're, you're willing to, to put me down, you must know. Whereas someone who loves me, well, they don't know. Right. So I know, I know we're, we're going, we're going a bit deep here. So just hang with me. I I promise to bring it all into a way that makes sense and give you some suggestions on how you might move forward. If you two are experiencing this, have experienced this. So as I was developing my belief in myself as an artist, I had conflicting feedback. And I would imagine that's normal for all of us. However, I internalized that, right? I internalized that as, as uh, maybe I'm not good enough to do this, put it on the back burner and did though continue to feel called towards creativity. It was just always there. And when I was creating art as a child, I'm most thankful for my Oma. She was just so supportive. You heard the podcast with my mom, which on a side note, I meant to say, I really appreciate your kind notes that you sent to us on that. And we talked about my Oma, my grandmother in Germany and how relentlessly supportive she was of me and my art and what a difference that made for me. So that calling was always there. And I ultimately got to a place where it was worth it to me to tune into that. I wasn't going to let other people's opinions of me determine the life I wanted to live and the career I wanted to have for myself. Thank goodness. And so I was willing to go through the discomfort. I was willing to go through imposter syndrome. And a lot of that came with being self-taught. So that's not actually related to this. Now, it is related to what I started to believe about myself through my early experiences and feedback and internalizing that feedback. But in terms of being a self-taught artist, this is where for artists in particular, this concept of imposter syndrome is super blurry, super blurry. Because I'm gonna share with you a tip that one of my mentors shared about how you can just, on a practical level, let go of imposter syndrome. And it kind of applies to an artist. It definitely applies to someone who's educating and mentoring, 
But art is subjective. And many people are, you know me, I believe everyone is creative. Everyone has access to creative ability. Many people tap into it early and they they don't question it. They run with it. They get better over their childhood and they may have a natural talent that they actually lean into and run with. And this is where someone else though may have that early inclination. They may have some talent, but they shut it down. They don't run with it, but they come back to it, which was me. I would say objectively, I had some talent. I don't, to this day, I don't know how no one taught me. I don't know how I was able to look at a photograph and replicate it with paints, with acrylic paints at the time, almost exact to the photograph at the age of 15. It was just something that was in me. Now, maybe it's, it's in everyone and, and people don't trust it. So they don't follow it or try it out. I have never learned from anyone specifically how to draw. And that is also a skill, right? The more that you practice it, you get better at it. But this particular ability came to me very easily. And yet I put it aside for all these years. So I, on my own, chose to reactivate it. And thankfully, at least while I put it aside, I chose careers that were creative and gave me design skills. I worked in both graphic design, art direction, and interior design. So I started to learn a lot about color, about design in general, from the physical space to digital, to, you know, any anything uh, visual design, of course, design is visual. <laughs> stay, all right, stay with me, Marisa, <laughs> stay with me. You know what I mean? It was... It was anything that was 2D all the way to 3D. And there are elements and principles of design that you learn over time and through training your eye that just always work. And so I I learned that and I was taught that by initial bosses I had, mentors I worked with, and some schooling I had where I went back to school after I graduated with a bachelor's in advertising. I went back to school for interior design. It was one of my most favorite schooling experiences because I was actually working in it every day and could take what I was learning and apply it right away. Of course, we we spent countless hours studying architecture, start studying art history, and then beginning to weave that into what we were creating for the vision we had and the design that we had. I digress. This was a little bit of backstory as to why I had some confidence saying, yes, I'm going to, I'm going to pursue being an artist now. And just that sheer determination, that strong desire and wanting to see really challenging myself, like, could I do this? But that imposter syndrome for me was very present. Now I know, yes, again, it was traced back to early experiences. And then it was piled upon by, well, I don't have any official training or certification. 
And this is an interesting part about imposter syndrome. And I'm just going to share this with you here. Um, This is where one of my mentors, James Woodmore, was talking about this. Basically, you can let go of imposter syndrome when it comes down to, you know, are you qualified or not? And this is where it gets tricky as an artist. How do you define being qualified as an artist? Now, I'm going to say, because I always say, right, I just did again, I believe everyone is creative. I believe that when you start working in the expression, the creative expression that you love, which many of us have multiple expressions, so that adds another layer to this, that in essence, you are an artist. Now, does that mean that you are ready to be a professional artist? I don't fully have the answer for that because I don't know exactly what I would define as, you know, what qualifications do you need to be a professional artist? In the expansive artist, I suggest that you make a minimum of 22 pieces of work and see where you stand with that. At the end of the day, here's the truth of it. You are a professional artist when someone buys your work and that could be at any time. Now, you're technically, yeah, yeah, you are a professional artist. Now, does that mean that you're going to continue that process? It's not just once, right? A, A true professional artist will continue the process of creating work that someone is willing to purchase. And I know this is why we can get in our head and we're like, well, friends and family don't count, but they do. Friends and family started with me and then I sold to my first stranger, so to speak. And that added a whole new level of confidence, right? So I don't have this figured out. And I, one of the hesitations I had for coming back to mentoring and really diving deep with helping helping people to build a business with their art is because I felt like I have no right to tell someone if this is for them or not. And technically I don't. What I can do and what I try to do, certainly of course in the expansive artists and my group coaching with uh, the Red Dot Society expansive artists, you know, we go deeper on all of this. And here in the podcast, I share with you, I have since the very beginning of my journey shared with you how I got here, how I started. I share with you in a uh, mostly, I say mostly, because sometimes I, sh- I share when I'm ready. I don't always share as I'm going through it but I am transparent in what my experiences have been. I'm willing to be vulnerable in sharing this journey and what it's been like for me. And so, you know, for this reason, I, I'm sharing it with you for you to see what's possible for you. On the flip side, I do want to to begin having the conversation around getting better at your art, improving your skills as you grow to either have the desire for a business or begin growing your business. 
But technically, me nor anyone else as an artist really has the right to tell you. I mean, we can all have opinions and our professors, our teachers, people who've sold art, we may have a certain eye, we may have, you know, we may have suggestions for you, recommendations, but it is not for me to say. And I still stand by that because if I had listened to someone who was discouraging or critical of my work early on, then I would have never put my art out in the world and I would have never had thousands of collectors, probably more if you include everything, all the licensing that's gone out there, hundreds of thousands of collectors. I would have never made a difference in their lives if I had waited until I thought I was good enough to put my art out there. I thought I was good enough to put it out and I did. And it was echoed back to me that people really enjoyed the work. And because it's so subjective, again, who's to say? Now looking at my work, and this has been a really interesting, here's a transparent moment for you. For the longest time, I did not educate myself in art. I did not learn from any instructors. A couple little classes on the side at retreats that I taught at, that I was then able to hop in a few art classes with artists I really admire and respect. I didn't want other people's work influencing mine. What was just naturally in me, aside from what I was inspired by, as we all are, you know, from history, from current, you know, art that really gives me joy from the art I collect, I did not want any influence. And Then I started to take courses in the last couple of years and open up to that more. And it has been a process for me not to get in my head around it and to stay connected to what was intuitively there and grow and develop. And now I also have an awareness where I am judging my earlier work and I'm saying, I don't know. I don't know that this is very strong. And I also see moments in my early work where I'm like, wow, I wish I could create without any awareness the way I created this because this is cool. So it's a mixed, it's a mixed bag for me. And it's an evolution in my art where I thought, did I really need to learn someone else's process and how they view it and be really specific on the color wheel and mixing colors? Or did what I was doing just work fine for me? I don't know. I don't know. I, of course, I trust my process and I loved learning what I've learned, but it has really gone into my head and it's, it's almost resurfaced this feeling of who am I to do this? Who am I to do this? And that's something I would probably take back into therapy. I also now with what I'm sharing with you here, these suggestions I'm going to share with you in just a moment, I now know how to sort of work around that and I recognize it for what it is. And then I just realize, oh, all right, there's a little bit more healing to do there. And it's really less about your art and it's more about just what's going on inside of my mind every day. And the conversations I'm having with myself, are they really so supportive or is a lot of that criticism that I actually thought other people were offering. Is that a lot of that in my own head? All right. So we will leave that there for a moment. 
all of all of these areas, as I say a million times on this podcast, we can go deeper on, right? But coming back to this concept of are you qualified or not? Basically, you are the one to define the qualifications you need. So I felt skilled enough to put my work out there. Now, there was a moment in my story where the way that I first was accepted into a more strangers accepting my art into the art world was through my hand-painted chairs where the cooperative gallery of 22 women artists voted my chairs into their gallery. And like I said, I had developed some confidence working in design. I knew I had abilities and I trusted those. All right. So when I started to open up to others saying yes or no to the work I was creating, I did have confidence, some, not in painting yet. And this was a really delicate moment for me when I brought my paintings in to the gallery because I wasn't selling the chairs. It takes a certain collector. I wasn't selling the chairs or I, I had painted some tables as well that I sold on the frequency with which I could support myself at this time. And I was paying rent to the gallery and I had no other income. And so I saw the art around me and I felt like I can do this. I can. And so let me bring in some of my work. I brought it in. As you may know the story, I was rejected. Not a hundred percent, but enough of the members voted that I wasn't ready to share my art, something to do with being able to see my brushstrokes, which is hilarious to me looking back because again, some people, it's all about seeing the brushstrokes. This is a person's opinion that maybe they got in school. They had very refined, 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 detailed, detailed work. And so that was not acceptable for someone somewhere. And so now that was being applied to me as an example. And yes, I can see that that work is naive. I can. A lot of that work is really special because it is naive. There's also something new that is evolving with an artist that doesn't have a lot of a lot of judgment or now measuring even themselves against their prior work, right? There's something really really special in those moments when you're saying yes to pursuing your art. And that's why I have to emphasize, no one is allowed to tell you what that is. Yes, you can ask, but you decide, right? But in this case, they told me, they gave me an opening. You can come back in six months with your art and do it again. And I did cry all the way home, called Sean. It was devastating for me. Also, it was closing an opportunity for me to potentially make revenue or income. It was, it was really hard, but once again, I had that grit and I'm like, fine, I'll bring it back and I'll go ahead and paint in the realistic fashion that I know I can paint to demonstrate to you who believe that that is the skill needed that I can do it. And that's what I did. And it worked. So I actually painted. I think I still have some. I've got to go through my early archives of early, early work. I, I'll attach uh, some of the imagery to this podcast for you when we post it and publish it at creativethursday.com. I painted 
my painted chairs. So I painted a portrait of them, so to speak. And it, you know, when I was in interior design school, I actually was hired to render in perspective. I'm still so impressed by these. I keep meaning to share them with you as well. It's it's fun to see what, it's fun to look back and see everything I've done. And then it reminds me, who are you to have imposter syndrome? So that is one tip that I'll just give you now that I didn't have in my in my notes, which I do have notes. Woo, hello, Fast and the Furious, um, which I do have notes for my episode. And that is this. Look at your life and look at all the experience you have and just keep a chronicle of that because that alone can just help you to go, oh, this is just some old fear cropping up and we don't need to give any attention to it. Let's let's move on. And so when I think about this, I, again, was hired to make perspective renderings like on a drafting table with the rulers, the whole deal, measuring it all to a vantage point, everything. And so this skill set wove into me painting the furniture on a similar level and then adding all this color, like I still love to do. And so that art was accepted. So technically you could say this was a qualification for me of being accepted. And is that my qualification? Well, of course it was because then I started selling work from my painted work. And I started selling to strangers. I, you know, sold, started selling online. That was the beginning of that journey for me. And that helped to have that acceptance. So is it that you are accepted by a gallery? Is it that you are accepted into a show perhaps? But be very, very careful with that because that is still someone's opinion. Still someone's opinion. It's really a combination of me putting it out there that is in essence the qualification you need. So if you're applying to shows, applying to galleries, putting your work out into the world, you are qualified to pursue this. I think I just came up with my definition. You are qualified to pursue a career as an artist if you are courageously putting your work out there because there is a part of you, your intuition that is telling you yes, that is giving you permission to put your work out there. All right, so hey, thanks for listening because I just came up with the definition. Oh, it's always good to chat these chat these ideas through with you. And I'm not done with the episode yet. So continuing on, are you qualified or not? Define what qualification do you need? And this was a, a cool note that James shared. And that is define, if you can't define what that is, define someone who is. And that's why you would go, well, Gosh, there's a lot of artists who just put their stuff out there. Maurice is one of them. And so why can't I do that? So that's the qualification. There's a whole lot of us who are examples of this. If your qualification is that you are trained and you put your stuff out there, great. Put your stuff out there. You are qualified. So I hope that that helps. And what I want to wrap with is... These three points around imposter syndrome that I hope will be helpful. So first, if you have it and you feel like I'm experiencing this, I relate to this, 
recognize that because you have the awareness, A, you're self-aware, that's always great. And it means that you care a whole lot about what you create and share with the world. And that's a really, from my perspective, my opinion, it's a really wonderful quality to have. We want to do quality. I want to create quality work and share it with you. Whether it be this podcast, whether it be how I, whatever I teach, whether it be the art that I share with you, it has to pass my standard. Is that perfect? No. As we know from last week's episode, as we know from whatever countless typos I have, it's not always perfect. And there is art that maybe looking back, I think, oh, that could be better. But it was good for me at the time to put it out there. And I stand by that. So if you have the awareness, it means that you care about what you create and share with the world. And that's wonderful. So just go, hey, this is good that I feel this way. Two, don't allow it to hold you back from sharing what you're here to share. If you recognize that you've experienced this or are experiencing it, also say, this is not worth me. This is not, it's not worth me not sharing. Forget it. (laughs) You want to share what you're here to share you're called to share and you don't want anyone's opinion to influence that or hold you back from that. Anyone's negative opinion. Ultimately, anyone's, right? We'll get Zen for a minute. It's really not about what people think you're capable of, whether it's good, whether it's bad. It's what you think you're capable of as I shared with you before. So the other note that James was talking about was it really does come down to also a fear of not looking good. If we have or are experiencing a form of imposter syndrome, we're worried about what people think about us. And that is a whole other conversation. And that is very, I find very common with women. And, you know, it's that whole permission thing again. You can see how it's all wrapped into one bundle. And if you really care about what people think to so much so that it's going to influence what you do with your life, that has to change in order for you to fully step into who you are. And personally, that has been a very large part of my journey as well. I've gotten some new insight as to where I might've picked that up from. And you know, as I shared with you, some of the early experiences I've been through, I just internalized it a certain way. I didn't have anyone there to counter internalize that. This is why coaches are so important today. This is why therapy is important. This is why being in communities with people who are aware, who are growing, who are understanding, compassionate, supportive, encouraging, also will call you on these experiences, so to speak, to help you get through them, over them, it's invaluable because not everyone's going to agree with this. Not everyone's going to even get this or begin to understand it because they're not putting themselves out there. That's a lot of people in the world, but you are, 
you are likely an artist. I'm just going to assume you are a fellow creative. You are putting yourself out there. That's a certain kind of individual. That's why this even comes up because more people, more people are putting themselves out there. That's probably why it is such a common term and it's helping us to identify it, right? And to move forward anyway. But the last point that I want to share with you is how this came up. I was having how this episode came came to be inspired. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who works in design also. And she was talking about the company she works with. They were recently all together and someone higher up in her company was asked, well, do you, what do you do about imposter syndrome? And that person said, well, I've never had it. Now I believe that exists as well. And how lucky are you? Obviously, maybe, I don't know, you, a person who doesn't have it, did not have some early experiences to put a lot of doubt in their mind. And just as a reminder, we don't want to rely upon, we don't want to use our past as a crutch. It is what it is. It formed us. It's a lot of what forms us ends up informing our lives and can become some of the best experiences to make us fully flourish as we become more self-aware. So I'm grateful for all those experiences because it caused me to develop this grit and this stick to and this great sense of accomplishment that even though not everyone believed in me, I believed in me enough to do this. And that is a hundred percent worth it. So I'm fine with having had imposter syndrome and having those little moments of doubt creep up because I'm always growing. And so I know I'm on the right path for me, but if someone doesn't have it, the point that came up in my friend's um, meeting within her company was, well, get better at what you do, right? Become more qualified. So if you truly feel a lot of doubt around your work, maybe your work needs more work. Maybe you want to improve your skills. Doesn't mean you can't share it. Maybe you want to wait before you actually put it up for purchase. But I do want to encourage us all to get better at what it is that we aspire to be, create, focus on our vocation, our interests. And that takes time. We're going to be talking about that next on the next episode. I do think that we have to be aware of tossing this word around and basically saying to everyone, well, it's just fear and doubt. Snap your fingers. You'll get over it. Go ahead and do it anyway. Not everyone is skilled to be doing all the things. There's a reason. What do I always use my reference? There's a reason attorneys go through law school. There's a reason medical doctors go through medical school. It's not so much, and I know we could argue about who's qualified there. Okay, let's not go down that that rabbit hole. It's just that, that training and practice is important to anything we want to do in life. And to dismiss that as, oh, well, I just have imposter syndrome, but I'm going to move forward anyway, 
I think we want to start being aware of, well, no, maybe you want to get better at what you do. Like, let's look at this for a minute. And that is not to be in any way discouraging. That is to encourage you to continue to get better. I put myself in this category. I just want to be better at everything I do all the time. I don't feel done. Probably never will. I'm totally at peace with that. I, I want to get better. I love it. I, I love the process of getting better because now I'm not beating up on myself on the way there. I'm not. I have gotten better with imposter syndrome in all areas of my business. But part of the reason is because I've gone and educated myself more. And so I have more confidence because I've gotten more experience, because I've gotten support from people more experienced than me. So be doing that always. Don't allow imposter syndrome to keep you from starting. Do allow the concern that you might want to improve if that's legitimate for you. Do allow that to encourage you to learn and get better. And most importantly, to practice, right? It's not just about learning more. We talk about this so often. Do the work, put the time in develop your skill, the imposter syndrome does go away. It does. I think we also maybe confuse imposter syndrome with butterflies about putting new work out there. So I know a lot of artists experience that. And to me, that's where it would go in more into that Dunnings-Kruger curve where now you are really experienced and you might still have a little bit of nervousness around it. And then let's all, let's all get to the place where we just put it out there. At the end of the day, that's what we do. That's what I do. I think sometimes the nervousness is a comfort level, a familiarity. And so I'll speak for myself on this. I think sometimes I fall back into that pattern because it makes me feel safe. And as I share this episode with you, and as I went through some coaching in this coaching program I'm a part of, I realized I'm done with this. (laughs) It's only years in the making, but I'm done with it. And you can decide that. You can. You want to feel it. You want to feel it. It it has to click in. It's not really a fake it till you make it, but you can decide to be done with it and then watch the experiences that show up in your life to help you affirm that and continue to move forward. And that is saying yes to what you are here to do, regardless of other people's opinions of what you're doing at the end of the day. Again, that's what it comes down to. So I hope that this episode has been helpful for you. I'm 100% here to encourage you to go for what you want. I'm 100% here to support you. And I encourage you to put the practice into what it is that you want to do to continue to grow and to become better. And I'll say it a million times, you know, surround yourself with people who understand that and will help not only support and encourage you, cheer you on, but will push you for more from a place of knowing what that's like because they're doing it too. Which reminds me, the Sell a Piece of Art This Week Workshop Challenge is coming soon, so stay tuned. Uh, Be sure to join the email 
at creativethursday.com. Well, we'll put a link in the show notes as well for you to join and come and join us in the Expansive Artists because we have a lot coming up this summer that's going to be really great practice for you and is going to improve your skills and it's just going to help you take that next step in building your thriving art business. Imposter syndrome free. <laughs> How about that? How about it? So stay tuned. And thank you so much for listening. Let me know in the DMs if this has helped you maybe to let some of that go. and. Also, don't hesitate to leave a review, a five-star review. If this episode has been helpful for you, that's how it will get out to more people is through your reviews. So I thank you so much for leaving them. And until next time, happy creating. Creative Thursday is recorded by me, Marisa. You can find all things Creative Thursday at creativethursday.com and learn about how I can support you in building and growing your thriving artist business at creativethursdaycourses.com. Be sure to hit subscribe to get the next episode as soon as it drops. And if this episode has inspired you, share it with a friend and fellow creative and leave a positive review so that more listeners can be introduced to the Creative Thursday message and mission to empower artists to know their worth, value their work, and consistently artfully sell to their ideal collectors online so that they can make more beautiful art all in support of living a life they love Coming together as a creative community, we uplift and support one another while encouraging and being an example for more people all over the world to dream big and believe in what is possible for them.